0: The future sport podcast is brought to you by three advance developers of sports tech apps that are AI powered and UX focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out three advance. They're incredible. Go to three advance.com. That's the number three advance.com.
1: Empire.
0: the virtual world gets ready to entertain all of us
2: Since all of these guys that are in the in the cup series now they've grown up using our software so uh, it wasn't that big of a leap for and it certainly wasn't a big app to have these guys come over and do this race because they were already here
0: that's steve myers executive producer for the nascar sim iRacing racing program and the test drive on the wide platform of Fox was met with a lot of happy quarantined fans. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein Steve Myers and his team have been working on building the iRacing platform for 30 plus years, and you'll hear about the ramp up to get a sim race on Fox TV recently and why so many pro drivers wanted to be part of that. And while it is hard to believe that virtual driving could truly feel like the real-life version of actual race car driving, drone racing is one of the new emerging spaces in competitive sports that can transform itself from its virtual home and of course, live racing circuits. Drone Racing League CEO, Nicholas Horbachesky will join us to promote how to become part of their world, real and online. But first, the future is now. When sports comes back, and we assume that they will one day, there's an opportunity here for the network providers and all the content creators to do things differently, which had already been happening in the world of eSports. And it's an experience that may change traditional sports as well. Sarah Needleman from the Wall Street Journal wrote a piece called The Future of Everything. Traditional sports look to gamers to reshape the viewer's experience. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, I know it is weird to talk about this with no sports, so I, have, I wonder, just in general, how do you feel about a world with no sports right now?
3: Oh, it is—it is quite depressing. My husband is very bored.
0: No kidding, <laughs> we I all like are.
3: I get—I have—I get more access to the TV, so slight silver lining there.
0: Yeah, carte blanche for whatever you want these days. Um, Let's talk about your piece here for a moment. Um what did you learn about how the gamers are interacting with sports and how that could change the way we watch traditional sports?
3: Sure, well, video game enthusiasts uh, use live streaming a lot to watch esports competitions or even just watch people play video games casually. And while they watch those live streams, they're constantly chatting with each other. Um, in chat boxes that are literally baked right into the stream. It's it's not like a separate application. Um, and sometimes they're chatting not just with each other, but also the digital athletes. Uh, if they're practicing, if they're not in the middle of a competition, sometimes the gamers will send a message to the athlete and they'll respond back live on the air. Um, and we can expect something like that to happen in the future with traditional sports, whereas the uh, chats will be uh, chat technology will be baked into these live streams, and uh, there may be opportunities to chat with the commentators, or the coaches, or the athletes themselves. Um, it may seem strange, but uh, in esports or at least in video gaming, watching broadcasts on a smartphone or a laptop is very, very common. I know we mostly watch traditional sports on a big screen TV, sitting back on our couches, but uh, younger viewers. Uh, have different habits, and that's one of them um, that we're seeing in the the gaming space.
0: You know, it, it hasn't merged yet with the big providers like ESPN or CBS where they're showing the traditional massively popular American sports, but everybody is on their second screen, their phone, whether it's via Twitter or in some way. So these things have always at least coexisted in recent years. I do wonder if you think that these big network providers are flexible like a Twitch to understand how to incorporate the two things.
3: That's definitely what they brought, uh, the broadcasters are looking at that. They're working with tech companies that are trying to build those sort of features into traditional sports sports broadcasts online. Um, they're working with the leagues. Uh, there's definitely a lot of interest in it. And so instead of having these multiple devices, like you mentioned, it would all sort of be baked into one. And there, there's a lot of more opportunities beyond that. You could have real-time polls. So everybody tuned in live can guess as to what's going to happen, choose from a menu of, say, four options, and then uh, however many you get right, you might uh, have your name up on a leaderboard. You might win some uh, prizes that uh, either virtual or real that could be sent to you. Um, so there are a lot of uh, potential opportunities uh, there that you can see right now happening in video game uh, streams that could happen in traditional
0: sports. You know, it's interesting, like uh, ESPN and others as well have hired a lot of influencers, some that are from that space and others who just have active accounts on Instagram or other places. And I think the idea there is if they bring them over to SportsCenter or traditional shows, they'll bring an audience with them. But I think the discussion we're having is that's not what's going to happen. The idea is ESPN needs to go to those other places.
3: Well, not necessarily. It it is possible that ESPN could come up with its own streaming platform. I mean, it already has some sort of streaming opportunities to begin with. Um, So uh, they're only dabbling in the streaming space. They have some apps that you can watch certain games on. It's just that over time, we expect that linear television will probably um, become the minority of uh, way to view uh, anything. And once just about every form of content is streamed live over the Internet, that creates opportunities for people to communicate through chat and other um, means that just isn't the norm right now. But we're already seeing it in, in small drips and drabs um, and uh, in traditional sports, and we're seeing it for sure in uh sports So it's only a matter of time before... Um, Everybody comes together to make it work. But, yeah, there's got to be deal-making among the teams, among the leagues, and among the broadcasters um, to make all this happen.
0: Um, We've talked to a lot of VR developers who I think a few years ago thought it would be the gold rush of this is what content was going to look like, that everybody would have headsets and everybody would be sitting courtside or whatever, and that's how they would interact. And I know you touched on it on your piece, too. Um, Where do you think VR is going right now with sports?
3: So VR is definitely something that uh, the leagues, the teams, the broadcasters are all looking into. The problem with it is that right now the headsets are very expensive, and they're fairly clunky. Um, but just like with any kind of technology, remember remember how mobile phones were back in the day? They were these big, giant, funny-looking yeah. uh, rectangular boxes. Um, just like those have gone away, now we have these nice little lightweight things in our pockets. Over time, you can imagine the same thing is going to happen with VR. And once it gets to a point that the headsets are maybe as light as a pair of glasses and they're all wireless and the technology is excellent and the uh, Internet connect- uh, connectivity is, is more robust than it is today, you can imagine uh, that the leagues will work with the tech companies to broadcast games in VR. And VR will be just like any other um device. So you could watch it through your laptop, you could watch it through your phone, or you strap on a VR headset. Only with VR, the experience is, is really wild because you're fully immersed. And uh, you can actually see games. Uh, cause there's, it's, there's essentially infinite space in VR. So you could be sitting in the front row. There's no no uh, tickets will be sold out. Cause there's you know, room for everybody. And it's really neat uh, if you experience it. It's pretty wild.
0: The piece is called traditional sports are looking to gamers to reshape the viewers experience. It's the future of everything. Sarah Needleman writes for the wall street journal. Thanks for joining us, Sarah.
3: My pleasure.
0: Up next, Steve Myers, executive producer of iRacing on the Fox TV hit that used his platform. This is the future sport podcast. Well, we all need something to do. On lockdown, there is an unprecedented outbreak that has shut down a lot of professional sports and, of course, daily life. NASCAR has a solution for this with their real races on hiatus for now. And Steve Myers from the iRacing platform, their executive producer, joins us now. Hey, Steve, how are you?
2: Hey, Bram. How are you doing? I'm doing um, great.
0: I uh, hope you're holding up. Hope your family's holding up. Hope everybody is safe out there with you.
2: Thanks. Uh, I hope uh, as well as you.
0: Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what you guys are doing. Um, Clearly, these are unprecedented times. We should be in the middle of the NASCAR season, Uh, but you guys have come up with a solution with the iRacing platform. Um, What are you doing with the drivers?
2: So it's it's very exciting. Um, You know, you know, and I I should preface that with you know it's a terrible terrible time that you know I'm sure there's a lot of people that are suffering right now that um, you know I don't I don't want to make light of that, but we've been given an opportunity here with the entire sports world shutting down that uh, auto racing and, and being able to move to the virtual space is blasting um, standing and so uh, we're very excited to be able to work with NASCAR and the stars of their series to be able to put on a race at 1:30 on, on Sunday and on Fox sports one and and provide you know people and 90 you know 90 minutes to the two hours of entertainment uh, you know, listening to the to the guys that are, which should have been making the call at Homestead uh, this weekend with Jeff Gordon and Larry Mack and, and Mike Joy. So we're hoping that not only will we give some people a, a chance to um, you know take a break from the madness of the world, but also you know learn about uh, what I racing is and and how. You make the most authentic racing simulation in the world.
0: Um, I had the opportunity to play around with it when I was invited out to the race in Sonoma last year, and I got to use one of the the big chairs and everything. So I saw like the high end version of the whole thing. Um, if you want to share with people, what is iRacing about? Can you kind of explain what the platform is?
1: Sure.
2: I mean, so it's, it's, too, it's super easy. I mean, literally you go to our website at www.iracing.com and you sign up for a membership and you download the software right there on your PC and within 15 minutes you're online racing against people from all over the world um, all you really need is a, a steering wheel and pedal set which you can pick up for less than $300 at uh, Best Buy or any uh, electronic uh, retailer and they eat, literally you plug it into your computer you download the software and you're you're racing and you start out racing in lower powered cars and you prove yourself to be uh, a safe driver and, and you graduate up to the higher levels of racing ultimately getting up to being able to drive NASCAR cup cars, which, which the guys will be driving on Sunday and the same on TV.
0: Um, are the drivers, have they been active in working with you to be involved in the content curation up until this point? So what's
2: really interesting about our product is, uh, you know, we've been a business, that's been around for you know between two different companies 30 years, uh, and so we've been making these racing simulation um, software packages um, since all of these guys that are in the in the Cup series now they've grown, grown up using our software, and so when this you know the sports world shut down, uh, it wasn't that big of a leap, or and it certainly wasn't a big ask to have these guys come over and do this race because they were already here. You know, they've already been driving sim for years and um, they're already big advocates. Uh, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been a huge advocate of sim racing for 20 years now. And, um, you know, so these guys are, are already using the software. So, you know, I will say that there's going to be a handful of guys that are it'll probably be the first, or this week will be the first time that they've, they've used the sim. And so, you know, I, the, I hope people's expectations will be like, yes, there's going to be some mistakes made by some of these guys because sim racing is hard. Uh, you know, there's a reason why you don't take somebody off the street and throw them into a a, a NASCAR cup car, uh, you know, or turn, turn laps uh, in a race, you know, just off the street. So, I mean, you have to expect this, you know, when you create an authentic racing simulation that it's going to be hard to drive a cup car in the sim. So, um, but I think it's going to be fun for everyone to watch that as well. I mean, I think the, the whole point of this is to have fun um, and let the, the community kind of see the stars and interact uh, with a, a product that, you know, closely mimics what they would have been doing in the, in the first
0: place. Um, you know, I, I can echo this cause I got to play around with it and I don't even think I made a lap. Like this is not, like, this is not a game like that you would get in Dave and Busters. Like this is, <laughs> this is for real and you actually need to practice it to do this. Yeah, it is amazing, and so, I tell you, so we
2: have a uh, uh, esports series up that we run on Tuesday nights every other Tuesday night, where the, the the best forty sim racers in the world compete in this in the NASCAR uh, world, and and th- these guys just did a race on Tuesday night at Homestead, so the same place so we we'll would do the race on Sunday, and you watch them, and you go, and they make it look easy, and so it's just amazing to me. That be, to be at that level, those guys are putting 40, 50 hours of practice in a week uh, to prepare for those races, and so it, it is really, really hard to be good at it. But at the same time, it's fun. You know, I think that's what that's why we're we have a successful business is that you know the, that it is a fun product to get in and race with other people and, and people enjoy it.
0: Um, has it become officially a substitute for training for the drivers themselves that are on the course? I, I, the, the young driver's name is escaping me now that I know that basically trained his way into NASCAR using SIM and not being on tracks, and his name is escaping me right now. Um, Uh, William Byron. Yes, yeah. Great
2: story, yeah. Um, Are others
0: um, who have been in racing, have they kind of substituted on-track practice for sim racing?
2: So, I mean, I will say right now, that's the only thing people can do. Um, They they don't actually, the NASCAR just put out a bulletin that they they weren't even allowing the teams to go to the manufacturer simulators. Um, so and they actually had fine print that said that uh, i racing was excluded. You could you could still use i racing, um, but yes, I mean this is this is the the world, where the world is going. I mean you um, you can't you can't go to, to a sporting goods store and buy a race car to go use in your backyard. You know every other sport you can pretty much you know practice that those uh, you know those those games you know, in your, in your driveway or your, your front yard. You can't do that with racing. So this is kind of the only way that race car drivers can practice, uh, you know, when they're not at the track.
0: Can you take me through the tech a little bit? I mean, you said you guys have been creating this for a very long time. I'm sure initially it felt more like a video game. Now it's an actual simulation where you're trying to get the conditions of a NASCAR race as close as possible. Could you kind of, you know, take me through what the process has been to get it to this point?
2: Well, so we've, this is from day one. We, we have had the, the company, like the, our the mission statement was creating authentic racing simulation. Um, tried to make a, it an arcade game or a video game. So our philosophy has always been try to make it as real, real as possible because, you know, we figure... If, if the race car drivers think it's, it's accurate and they enjoy doing it, everyone else will follow along. They will enjoy it as well, and, and it has absolutely been true. Um, you know, we, we laser scan the, the racetracks. They're digitally perfect. Every bump, every tree, every curb, every wall, every building is exactly where it's supposed to be. It's, uh, you know, the, 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 the cars, we work with the manufacturers and, and the race teams. To make them digitally perfect. I mean, we get reams and reams and reams of data from the teams to be able to to recreate these cars so they're perfect. We even take tires and we'll send them out for chemical analysis so we can figure out the, the compositions of them so that we can create the tire model with the right properties of tires. Um, you know, we we go to wind tunnel tests. So we've gone to CalSpan. Uh, you know, we we do. Uh, uh, fluid dynamic uh, uh, work with, um, with arrow CFD work. Um, we, you know, we, I mean, we, we literally are at the point now where we're starting to measure the, the friction levels of the surfaces uh, so that we can get those right. So um, we really go to as far as we possibly can to, Uh, replicate these environments and these cars as as perfectly as we can.
0: All right. I'll let you go with this. Um, For those who are going to tune in and watch this, obviously we're all looking for some simulation of live sports. It's a big void in our lives right now. Um, What can fans expect to see in how this will be presented to them?
2: It's going to be a full broadcast, Fox broadcast like you would see any other race weekend. And, the only difference will be is that the racing is coming from a race server up, uh, up here in Massachusetts that is, uh, you know, being streamed down to the Charlotte Fox uh, broadcast studio, And, you know, Larry Mack and Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon are going to be calling the race. And uh, the same star that you, you see in the real world will be in the race, Benny Hamlin, Dale Jr., well, he's coming out of retirement for this uh, <laughs> uh yeah Bobby Labonte came out of retirement for this uh you know we have Brad Keselowski, William Byron, uh Joey Logano, you know Kyle Larson, everyone everyone when you think of even Smith Boyer is going to participate he's going to be the in-race reporter uh he's going to be in a studio racing and also being <laughs> team. so it's going to be a really great show everyone should, should tune in at 1:30 on on sunday
0: on fs1 it's really cool and and listen we really appreciate the creativity i think we all need a break here and um and i'm happy to see that you guys are thinking ahead for for everybody out there to give us a break from what's going on in the real world uh steve myers is the executive producer at iRacing. thanks so much for joining us steve
2: thanks Bram.
0: up next ceo nicholas horbachevsky on another way to compete while in quarantine through his drone racing league this is the future sport podcast Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3 Advance. So let's take a moment to thank our friends at 3 Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers. Their user experience and cloud expertise has helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups including Team Builder, T-Box Tour and in-game fantasy. So if you're looking for a development partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen and advance you will. That's the number three, advance.com, and tell them Future Sports sent you. Well, we are in extremely unusual times on planet Earth. Sports have been shut down, and in many different ways, there are a lot of different groups that are trying to find new, interesting, and unique opportunities for the fans and the non-fans to come into their tent and learn about their wares. Nicholas Horbacheski is the CEO and founder of the Drone Racing League, and there's an opportunity here, Nicholas. Thanks for joining us. Um, It's nice to have you here.
1: Thank you.
0: you. Tell me about what's going on right now and how you kind of view um, the opportunity that is presented to introduce the Drone Racing League to those who are social distancing. Sure.
1: I mean, obviously, we're in very unique times. Uh, and there's a lot of challenges out in the world for a lot of different industries and, and individuals, and, and um, obviously a lot of lifestyle changes going on. But one thing that's definitely happening a lot of people are being asked to stay home um, and, and leave this out. And I think in that time, uh, we still need uh, a lot of things. We still need the kind of uplifting and exciting entertainment that sports brings, um, we need education. You have tons of students being uh, kept out of school and asked to stay home and watch the education process. So it's a challenging time, complicated time, but um, it's, it's, it's an interesting time, especially uh, for companies like ours to have the opportunity to bring content to fans while they're at home.
0: Um, I-, I saw that you guys are introducing um, drone racing in terms of education as well, trying to use it in STEM programs. Um, Can you kind of talk about that initiative in general? And then specifically now, with so many kids out of school, the opportunity that is there to introduce the science behind what you all are doing?
1: Definitely. So DRL has leaned into STEM education from its earlier days. So, typically around our, our large live events, we do our races, we do STEM educational programs uh, in local schools. Now, these are in classroom programs. We're working with students, teaching them about the technology behind drone racing, teaching them about robotics and engineering. Um, and they're incredible programs. I've been mean, part of it myself. It's amazing to be able to go into a school, work with students, help them build a drone, help them understand the technology behind it. Um, it gets them excited about science and technology. You're, you're obviously wrapping up in a fun, exciting sport of drone racing. Uh, so it, it adds an entertainment element that really engages students. And when all of this started to happen, we took step back and said, what can we be doing? And at the same time, started having educators reach out and saying, look, I want to continue STEM education. Students are at home, but uh, I want them to be learning. And so we launched DRL Academy, which is basically taking this demonstration program we've done for a while. And turning it into an online learning program, um, it can be distributed broadly. It continues uh, to give students a chance to access uh, educational content about science, technology, and engineering material, um, while continuing to um, you know wrap it up in drone racing in a way that's fun for the students.
0: I, I know this is a vague question, but. Um... Can you kind of just kind of generally talk about the technology from when you started working in drones to where they specifically are now? How much has the tech increased in the innovation around drones?
1: So drone technology has made, you know, incredible advances over the last few years generally, and I think we're really on the cusp of trying to be more integrated in daily life as as a lot of technological barriers are overcome, specifically in the world of racing. You know when I started DRL, drug racing had been around for several years, as mentioned. So this had sort of been an underground sport, um, and it hadn't achieved mainstream uh, awareness. And I, I, since I thought the sport was so interesting, I wasn't sure why that was. And I very quickly discovered there was a technology problem. Um, the technology you need to do a professional racing event in front of a large live audience, broadcast globally, it's just fundamentally different from the sort of technology that people were using in these sort of amateur, homemade settings. So really what Drone Racing we did, when I started it, was we, we focused on building an industrialized stack of technology. And a lot of technology goes into a drone it, It's not only just the drones themselves, it's the radio systems that control the drones, it's the timing and scoring systems you need to track those drones from there, it's the pre-management system you need to uh, be able to keep track of 600 drones that are being used in a drone racing event. And... You know, we've had to build all that technology from the ground up. Uh, I think sometimes it's DRL is more of a technology company than anything else. We're hacker to have our engineers focus specifically on developing this technology. Uh, and so over the last five years, we've gone from this technology really not existing to be able to use it in a professional sport. Um,
0: are, are competitors allowed to bring their own devices and drones, their own creations to this? Is there, is there a standardized version of what is allowed to be raced? There's a, we, we
1: every pilot in the drone racing race is an identical drone. Uh, it's called the Racer Four. It's a drone that we have designed from the ground up. We design these drones, and build these drones. Um, and it, it has a couple of benefits. One, it's creates a completely level playing field. Meaning when you watch one of our races you see a pilot wing, you know that they want to because of pilot skill, not because of a technology difference. And the other thing is, as I mentioned, the, the, the technology to do this is, is reasonably complex We're building. Are very advanced highly specialized drones. um sometimes they're sort of like formula one car of drones um and when you want to keep racing and, and they're racing at professional level you want people to grab the formula one cars not just homemade drones that they cobble together themselves so um it it serves a couple different functions but um it's very cool it also means that behind the scenes at drl you know if you come and visit our offices there's entire floor that he can design and manufacture in very high performance roads.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting. We had a tour with NASCAR last summer, and obviously the specs on the cars are monitored extremely, extremely closely, and there's variances here and there. Um, but everyone's trying to figure out a way to be faster, to be better, and it's minor, minor alterations. Um, if everything is on a, a, a level playing field, what separates the competitors from one another?
1: It really, it's it's pilot skill. I mean, it, it's about the ability to fly the things. You know, these drones are going uh, to 90 miles an hour to accomplish three dimensional courses, uh, passing through narrow gates and obstacles. It's really incredible. I mean, it's like a scene out of Star Wars. They're weaving through space. It takes a tremendous amount of skill to fly these drones at all, let alone at incredibly high speeds in a competitive race environment. Um, so the pilots are making um, a lot of choices to keep the drones in the air, when to pass and to hold back, how hard to push it going into a turn. So, you know, uh, over the course of a race, they're making hundreds of choices to determine whether they win or lose. And a pilot that can do that consistently uh, is the one that's going to win. Um, and it's very exciting. You know, we've had world championships over the course of the season come down to hundreds of a second in terms of who wins.
0: Um, let's talk about what's happening in the here and now, which is the, the 2020 Drone Racing League Sim Tryouts, which is a player-to-pilot eSports tournament. And the winner is actually going to get a contract um, on your tour and be able to compete um, in the Drone Racing League. Can you tell us a little bit about w- what's going on there?
1: Yeah, every year we run a player-to-pilot tournament. So one of the unique things about drone racing is it it's on this blurry line between the digital and the real. It's the only sport I've ever encountered that you can train and learn to compete in it uh, in simulation. So we've built this very advanced simulator that that makes real life. And when you you play it on a computer, you can download it on the game. And when you learn to fly on the simulator, you're learning the exact skills you need to fly in real life. And so what that means is that once a year we we run this tournament, we open up to everybody in the world. They can download the game. They can learn to fly a racing drone. They can start competing. And over the course of several weeks, we run a competition to find the best pilot on the simulator. And when they win that tournament, they actually get a contract to become a professional pilot in the league and come race real drones. Um, so it's pretty—it's pretty wild. It's pretty unique this idea that you could, you know, download a game on your computer and start playing, and then weeks later, you turn a professional contract to be out playing that sport in real life, so it's actual drones uh, flying through incredible spaces, you know, at 90 plus miles an hour.
0: Do you need any equipment? If I was to download the game and, and play it with my son, uh, do I need any specific equipment for it?
1: You just need a computer, and then you need any computer like a controller. So, a, a gaming controller, an Xbox controller, a PlayStation controller, anything you can link up in your computer to play.
0: And how do I download the game itself?
1: Sure, you go to Steam. So, you go to the Steam store uh, and search for the Drone Racing League, and you'll see that would, the Drone Racing League simulator. Just download it and start
0: playing. Um, I'll let you go with this. Um, we talk to a lot of people in esports. Obviously, it is really an, an emerging, as you know, arena um, in in all of sports and content production. Where do you see drone racing fitting into that model? Where the popularity of esports at all different levels with all different types of gaming? Where do you see drone racing fitting into this surge of interest in esports?
1: What I love about drone racing is that we don't quite fit into any box. Uh, we're not strictly an esport, uh, but we're not strictly a real life sport either. Uh, we sort of get to borrow the best of all worlds. So you take something like our sim track going on now. Uh, this is, this is, you know, some degree in esport competition, right? This is based on a video game. You get to play it, but then you get to go fly real drones. So you come to one of our live races. You sit there and see real drones flying and real courses, and it's a, it's a very immersive event. So we don't fit nicely into any box, but we get the benefits from a lot of them. mean, you look at what's going on with eSports. One of the reasons eSports works so well is it's so scalable. And that's what you want for a participatory sport. I mean, you know, something like what we're doing for our sim tryout, where truly people around the globe are competing in this from the comfort of their own home. That's incredible. There's no... Live sport, you can do that with, and have the person who emerges from it be qualified to go out uh, and compete in the real world. That's that's a huge benefit. That scalability, accessibility to it. Um, but then you know you go to our our where that high, where that winner goes, and they become a league. And suddenly you're sitting in an arena. Um, you know we did a race last year at Chase Field uh, in Phoenix. Yes. Yeah over 4,200 fans, they're sitting there cheering, drones flying around, crashing into obstacles, exploding into a million pieces. They're giving people a very unique real-life experience that really draws in an audience. That's much more like a traditional sport. Um, and so we get the benefits of both.
0: It's really cool. And being stuck inside and looking for new things to do with my kids right now, it, it is something that, it, that I appreciate is available to me. Um, Nicholas Horbachevsky is the CEO and the founder of the Drone Racing League. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicholas. Thank you. That will do it for us this week. Remember, we want to hear from you about how you are creating under these unusual circumstances. You can email me directly at Bram at B-R-A-M at Empire, A-M-P-I-R-E, Media.com. And of course, follow Future Sport, F-U-T-R-S-P-R-T, on all of the social media platforms. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.